We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. NBA championship. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in. It's game day. Lakers versus Kings tonight. So we're going to do a little bonus Lakers Nation podcast here for a Sunday game day. I'm Trevor Lane. You can find me over on X at Trevor underscore Lane over on Instagram at Trevor Lane NBA. Let me know if you're over on YouTube in the comments section. What's your prediction for tonight's game? Are the Lakers going to get the win? And how do you see them going about it? We're going to dive into a number of different topics. I do have a, a number of fan questions and comments coming from the Lakers win against the Phoenix Suns that we're going to get into to close out the show. also want to preview, of course, Lakers versus Kings. That's going to be coming up at 6 o'clock Pacific time today. Before that, though, we got a little bit of an update. A, a little bit of light shined on a mystery that has been enveloping this team. And that great mystery, it is... Cam Reddish versus Max Christie. What's going on? Max Christie has disappeared, was not in the Lakers rotation against the Phoenix Suns. I thought he outplayed Cam Reddish during the preseason, and yet it is Cam that's getting the minutes for the Lakers so far ahead of Max Christie. Not what we expected, although I will say, even with my low expectations of Cam Reddish heading into the season, I think he's done some really good things defensively, and I've been really impressed with him there. But the man himself, Darvin Ham, the guy who's making this decision, actually explained exactly why he's using Cam Reddish ahead of Max Christie right now. So let's go to that. What is it that's causing Cam Reddish to get these minutes? I know so many people have been asking me, why are we not seeing Max Christie out there? Well, here's what Darvin Ham said about it. I went into the thinking behind going, starting the season with Cam, presumably over Max. Just, just his size and, and Max. You know, Max is a part of us. He's gonna be a part of us for a long time to come. Still a young player developing. Cam having had more games under his belt. Uh, his size, his athleticism. They're both phenomenal basketball players. But just wanted to get a look at what Cam can do at the outset of things. What's about his play so far? I, th I thought he's. I think he's been solid. Uh, He's done everything we asked him to do. Uh, he's had some tough matchups that I feel like you know he's handled well, um, and he, you know offensively he's able to stretch the floor. He's able to get offensive rebounds. He's able to finish at the rim. 
plays, really does a great job playing within himself. With Mando out, you almost want him to kind of different players, of course, but almost assimilate the same role that Vando brings to the team. I just want him to be Cam, and that, that's a guy that he defends, he defends multiple positions, uh, smart basketball player, a lot of size on the perimeter, um, able to navigate screens defensively better than a lot of people I've seen. Um, and again, he has a good three-point shot, and he's athletic, so he gets stuff done in the paint as well. So just want him to continue to buy into the system, which he has, and continue to be himself. Okay, so Darvin is explaining why he thinks that, that Cam Reddish is getting the minutes or why he is giving Cam Reddish those minutes ahead of Max Christie, who was fantastic in Summer League. Some of it I buy, some of it I don't. Some of it makes sense, and I and I understand where it's coming. The, the part that I don't buy at all, because it makes no sense, when he talks about the three-point shooting, saying that Cam has a good three-point shot. No, he doesn't. And that's not, I'm not trying to uh, rip Cam or anything. I think he's done some really good things. I think he's done some very useful things, particularly on the defensive end, and Darvin talked about that, and I want to talk about that in just a moment. But when Coach Ham is mentioning the three-point shooting, uh, Cam Reddish is shooting 20% for three as a Laker. I'm talking preseason and regular season. Now, we're still in small sample size territory, right? We're talking five preseason games, two regular season games. But we also have Cam's entire career of shooting threes, where he is a low 30% three-point shooter. It's just what he is. Now, he can still do some other things that can impact the game. But when Darvin Ham is saying that Cam Reddish has, has a good three-point shot, I hope he's right. I hope that he's seeing things in practice, that his three-point shot has markedly improved, and all that's happened is we've got a small sample size at play here, and over the course of the season, Cam's going to be like a 38% three-point shooter. Boy, wouldn't that be fantastic? I hope that's the case. But history says he's not a good three-point shooter, and his time so far, limited though it may be with the Lakers, also says he's not a good three-point shooter. So I can't jump on board with, with Darvin there. But everything else he's saying is indeed correct. And, and Cam Reddish does have a size advantage over Max Christie. He's 6'8". Max Christie's 6'5". Now, Max has a big advantage with shooting threes. He is a has been a 40-plus percent three-point shooter. That's what we saw from him last season. It's what we saw in Summer League. So he certainly can provide a little bit more uh, in terms of his shooting. Now, if Darvin Ham thinks that Cam Reddish is a good three-point shooter, maybe that isn't as much ground as, as what the stats tell it is, at least not in Darvin's mind, but Cam Reddish, I thought it was interesting that the last question they got thrown at Darvin, because you could hear that there, and that was, by the way, after yesterday's practice that this was asked of him, but you could hear the, the scrum there was trying to get more, trying to get more information from, trying to get him to clarify a little bit. Why are we seeing Cam Reddish and not Max Christie? And the comment was brought up at the end about, is he filling in for Jared Vanderbilt's role? And, and Darvin Ham quickly corrected and said, oh, no, you know, I want Cam to be Cam. Not saying he has to be Jared Vanderbilt, but I do wonder when Vando returns, if that role, whether it's Max Christie or uh, or Cam Reddish, whether that role just kind of fades away and we see Jared Vanderbilt absorb those minutes. By the way, Vando's still not being uh, reevaluated for another couple of weeks, so it's going to be a little while. But I, I do think that he made a really good point when he talked about Cam's screen navigation, which has been pretty good. And there have been a number of guys on the team that have actually struggled with this. And it's really, really important. I think he also brought up the matchups that Reddish has had to deal with. And I thought that was a good point, too. You look at 
uh, game one against the Denver Nuggets, the Lakers put him on Jamal Murray for a stretch. Go defend him. Go chase him around and try to contest that pull-up jumper using the fact that he's 6'8". He's got a long wingspan. Use that to your advantage. Then the next game, it's, hey, go defend Kevin Durant, who lists himself as 6'11", but he's seven foot. He's seven. He doesn't want to be known as a seven footer, but he's seven feet tall. Go use your your length. Go use your quickness to try and stick with him. That I mean, could it get any more different? Go defend a guard who's quick and is going to pull up from the perimeter, and now go defend. Well, Kevin Durant can certainly pull up from the perimeter, but go defend a seven footer out there. Big big difference in terms of what you're asking Cam Reddish to do, and yet Darvin feels comfortable doing both those things. I think in tonight's matchup against the Kings, we're probably even going to see Cam ask with defending as to defend De'Aaron Fox a little bit as well. So I think it's that defensive versatility that Darvin really appreciates from Cam Reddish. Again, the offensive game, it's left a lot to be desired. He has done some things getting to the basket here and there. But to me, that's more the icing on the cake. If you can get a solid offensive play or two in a game out of Cam, great. If you can get him to knock in a three, great. But what you're really using him to do, the way the Lakers are utilizing him, it's as a jack-of-all-trades defensive player that you can throw at the other team's best player for certain stretches. Gives your other guys a little bit of a break, and Cam can focus all of his attention on the defensive end of the floor. And frankly, because of his size, he's probably going to have a little bit more success at it than Max Christie would, who I think is going to be a pretty good defender in his own right. I also like that Darvin took the time to say that Max is going to be with the Lakers for a long time. By the way, Max is out of contract this summer but he will be a restricted free agent. So making sure that Max Christie still feels the love, but I thought he also presented his argument fairly well for why Cam is getting those minutes right now. You see the role they're using him in. I think Max is still going to get his opportunities, particularly once Jared Vanderbilt comes back and you're not looking for exactly what Cam is providing because I think Vando will be in that role when he returns. But for now, it's Cam Reddish that's being tasked with being that kind of mid-second quarter guy, middle of third quarter guy that can come in, chase around the other team's best players. We've even seen him get into the first quarter uh, at times and just give them a different look for a little while, be a pest defensively. And I think he's done a pretty good job at it. But again, I've had a lot of people asking, why isn't uh, Max Christie playing? Why is it Cam Reddish out there? Well, Darvin addressed it. And uh, it sounds like it's the defense. It's the screen navigation which is that's backed up by what we're seeing on the floor. The three-point shooting you mentioned, not so much. But hopefully Cam goes on, hopefully he goes on a tear and he shoots four for six from three tonight or something like that. That would be absolutely fantastic to see. All right, I, I want to get into um, I want to get into the Kings matchup. But before I do that, there's something else that I have to address, and. To be honest, I kind of kind of wish I didn't have to. But here it is. I've been getting a lot of comments lately about James Harden. Now, I didn't see it, but apparently Kendrick Perkins, because a lot of people have been mentioning this, Kendrick Perkins uh, threw out the idea of the Lakers going and trading for James Harden. And so I've gotten enough questions about it that I kind of feel like I have to address it. Um, it it's, it's, it can't happen. Not just it shouldn't happen, and by the way, I don't think it, it should, but it it can't happen. Um, not right now. So right now, 
James Harden. For anybody who's unaware of what's going on, if you're if you're watching, if you're enough of an NBA Lakers diehard to be watching the show, you probably know. But James Harden is not with the 76ers right now. He's on their roster, but it's been messy. He's been wanting a trade. It's been going on all summer. Um, right now, the Clippers uh, believe they are the only team that's in the running to trade for James Harden. So that's why they've been reluctant to give the 76ers the pieces that they want, which is Terrence Mann uh, and, and multiple picks. And so far, the Clippers have been holding steadfast, saying, no, we are not giving you everything that you want. Give us James Harden. You have no other options. The 76ers and Daryl Morey are saying, uh, no, we're not trading him for anything less than what we want. And so they're just they're at a stalemate. Uh, last news was that the Clippers have paused any trade talks now that the season has started. But again, it takes one phone call to uh, to start those up again. But the idea that the Lakers should trade for James Harden, I've had people giving me possible trade offers and things like that. Somebody sent me earlier today. Well, Rui and, and D'Lo and look, James Harden, he makes $35 million this season. Making $35 million this season. Now, he picked up his option for the year. I don't think James Harden is the guy the Lakers necessarily want. I think he's, he's an incredible talent. He's obviously a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's a former MVP. All of that. You can get into some basketball reasons, though, why. Maybe the Lakers shouldn't do that, particularly if you're sacrificing a bunch of depth in order to make that happen. And again, good player. If he was like a veteran minimum or something like that, or something where it's a no-brainer to bring him in, sure, you you give it a shot. I'm not saying he should be a veteran minimum player or anything. I'm saying if there, it's not like there's a there's no chance it could work to the point where you just say no, no matter what the deal is. But logistically, the Lakers can't trade for him right now. You look at all the guys that they added, all the guys they signed over the summer, D'Angelo Russell, Rui Hachimura, Austin Reeves, Gabe Vincent, Jared Vanderbilt. None of these contracts, Torian Prince, none of these contracts are trade eligible. Even if you're the Lakers, you're Rob Palenka, and you sit down and you say, we are going to win a championship this year. All we need, it's James Harden. We get James Harden, we win a championship. It's a lock. If that was their mindset, even if that was their belief, move heaven and earth to go trade for James Harden. They can't do it. They can't do it. So sometimes it, the only way that the math could even work, by the way, would be building a bigger deal around LeBron. That's not happening. <laughs> That's not happening. So it's it, logistically under the rules of the, the collective bargaining agreement. It cannot happen. Now, December 15th, when guys become trade eligible, the guys who signed contracts over this past summer become trade eligible, that's a different story. But it's always funny when these comments get just kind of thrown out there and people get excited. Oh, could they? Should they? And we get these debates going back and forth without stopping to think about whether or not it actually can happen. And the answer is no. It, it just it can't. Per, per league rules, it can't happen right now. Now, again, if the situation stays the same, if James Harden isn't traded, and next thing you know, we're we're cautiously awaiting for, for Santa Claus to come down the chimney, and these guys are trade eligible, maybe it's a discussion that you have then. Again, I don't necessarily think it's the best idea basketball-wise, but even if the Lakers right now said, we want to go, let's get in there. Let's at least make the Clippers have to pay more or something. They can't do it. They can't do it. So... It's not something to get worked up about. It's not something to get excited about. And again, I know a lot of you know this. A lot of you understand this. But 
again, with stuff is getting passed around there on some of the hot take shows and, and things like that. People get excited. I've gotten, again, enough people messaging me about this that I just want to take a moment and address it, explain that the Lakers just simply, they can't make that trade. I also don't think they should, but they can't. So nothing to worry about there. All right, let's talk about this. Lakers, Kings, tonight, 6 o'clock Pacific time. We will be live over on Playback, playback.tv slash Lakers Nation. Come hang out with us. Watch the game. Uh, because it's not a nationally televised game, uh, U.S. viewers will have a little bit easier time watching it over on Playback as well. So that's going to be, uh, this will be a good one. I think this is going to be a really good matchup. Now, of course, right after the game, we'll be on the Lakers Nation YouTube channel doing Lakers Nation Live, breaking down everything, breaking down the game. So again, playback during the game, come hang out with us over on the Lakers Nation YouTube channel right after, which by the way, the membership program still, if you guys haven't checked it out, click the join button over on YouTube, or you can find the link in the description of our videos. I, I think we've got some really great perks that we're offering for this so far. Everybody who signed up that, that I've talked to said they're really excited. They've really been enjoying it. So uh, make sure you guys do check that out. Oh, also, I want to note, I did an interview with Derek Fisher at the end of the week on uh, on Friday. So you can find that over on the YouTube channel or the podcast feed as well. He had some really interesting insight into Anthony Davis and uh, his scoring situation and, and things of that nature. So check that one out as well. But again, Lakers-Kings tonight, what's interesting about this is aside from preseason, these two sides uh, saw each other in preseason, but uh, again, you take that with a grain of salt. The Kings and the Lakers, uh, the Lakers were one and three against Sacramento last year, but they didn't see the Kings after the trade deadline, which means Sacramento never really saw the new look Lakers. Again, they saw them a few weeks ago in preseason, but that's it. And we all know preseason can be very different than regular season. So this is going to be interesting in that it's kind of a fresh matchup that these two teams haven't seen each other since the Lakers made all their big changes. So the keys to the game, I want to get into... I don't want to go too crazy here with this, which sometimes I do. I go a little too in-depth. So I tried to limit myself to three things that I really want to see happen in this game. And the first of them is catching the Fox. And of course, I'm talking about De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox is absolutely fantastic. He has really come into his own, uh, had a really, really big game they just lost they're coming off a loss to the Sacramento or to the Golden State Warriors but the Aaron Fox in that game went for 39 points 39 points the Aaron Fox put up in their last game so that's going to be a priority for the Lakers how do you slow down the Aaron Fox now he should he shot five for nine from three hopefully there's not a repeat of that hopefully he got a lot of that hot shooting out of his system and he doesn't do that against the Lakers, but for a Lakers team that's going to be starting Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell in the backcourt, th this is look, this is one of the tests that we were talking about coming into the season. When you've got that starting backcourt where neither guy is necessarily known as a defensive stopper, what happens when you go up against a De'Aaron Fox, when you go up against a Jamal Murray? What does that look like? Can the Lakers make these guys work? And De'Aaron Fox, particularly his speed, he's maybe the fastest player in the league. I mean, he's up there. If he's not the fastest, he's Top five, top three, maybe at worst. He's incredibly quick. So how the Lakers handled De'Aaron Fox is going to be really interesting because, again, they don't have a clear point guard stopper that they can turn to. Again, Cam Reddish is going to have to play some minutes against him, I believe. I don't think you can ask him to chase him all game. D'Lo, 
Austin, they're going to get minutes. Gabe Vincent will get plenty of minutes off the bench as well. I think the Lakers are going to have to send a lot of different looks at Cam Reddish. Um, I'm sorry, at uh, De'Aaron Fox. And we'll see what they can do to slow him down. Not going to be easy, but how they defend him is going to be extremely important. Are they able to, you're not going to stop him, but can you at least keep him contained to a degree? Don't let him go for 39 points, right? Now, he went for 39 and still lost to the Golden State Warriors. So if he doesn't get other guys going, if other guys aren't shooting well, you can still win like Kevin Herter. Uh, Darren Fox was five for nine from three. Kevin Herter was 0 for 5. So that balanced things out quite a bit in the Warriors' favor. So it'll be interesting to see what the Lakers can do, how they handle this defensively against Fox. Again, you know he's going to score his points. The Lakers in particular, their defensive coverages. Do you play drop knowing that Fox is pretty good at that mid-range pull-up? That can be a big threat. If you just give those to him all day, he's going to knock down a lot of them. So how the Lakers defensively deal with De'Aaron Fox that is going to be a big key to this game. From there, it's about cre creating inefficiencies across the roster. You know, the the Kings, they have a lot of guys who can shoot the ball, particularly if you look at their starting five. Everybody, everybody in their starting lineup can shoot the three. Everybody can shoot efficiently, can burn you uh, from the mid-range, can burn you from the outside. And Sabonis, Barnes, Murray, Herter, Fox, all these guys can shoot. So what can you do to make sure you're contesting enough on the perimeter to get these guys to have inefficient shooting nights, right? Against the uh, the Warriors, Keegan Murray was 3 for 11 from deep. Kevin Herter was 0 for 5. That resulted in a 30% from 3 game for them and ultimately a loss. Can the Lakers get the Kings, who are going to be at home, on their home floor, to shoot poorly like that? That's going to be something critical to watch. What can the Lakers do defensively, not just to corral De'Aaron Fox, but to pester the other guys into poor shooting nights? I think the Lakers can withstand one guy, two guys maybe, that are not De'Aaron Fox and Sabonis having solid shooting nights. If Keegan Murray comes out and instead of three for 11, he's six for 11. That's not ideal, but you could probably withstand that. What you can't do is have Kevin Herter and Harrison Barnes get going too, or have our old friend Malik Monk Come in. That's something to watch. Have Malik Monk drop 20 points off the bench. That's something that could be problematic. So really, it's about creating as many inefficient performances across the roster. The Sacramento Kings, they're an excellent offense. They showed it last year. But the question is, can you keep them from being efficient? They're going to put up points. But what you want them to do is do it without efficiency. That's how you beat this team. So again, for the Lakers, it's about trying to create inefficient scoring chances for as many of the Kings players as you can, knowing that one guy getting going, maybe two, you may still be okay. What you can't have, though, is Fox getting into the paint all night long, kicking out, and their shooters going berserk. Don't want to see that happen for sure. And then on the Lakers side of things, looking at their own offense, excellent execution. Shout out Bret Hart. Inside, out. That's what you want to play against the Sacramento Kings team. Sabonis starts at the center position. He is not much of a shot-blocking threat. Incredible player. Don't get me wrong. Incredible player, but not much of a shot-blocking threat. Harrison Barnes is at the four. Keegan Murray's at the three, though they're really pretty switchable. Um, not a lot of shot-blocking on this on this Sacramento Kings starting five. So, attacking the basket. Now, the Kings try to make up for that by keeping teams on the perimeter, using their quickness 
to prevent teams from getting to the rim. But for the Lakers, it's about getting to the basket. Collapse this Kings team. Even if, even if you've got a lot of Kings pack in the paint, again, this is not a great shot-blocking team. When you've got athletes like LeBron, like Anthony Davis, that can get up above these guys, that can throw down some dunks, Jackson Hayes comes to mind, right? When you've got players who can do these sorts of things, that makes them an even bigger threat against a team like this that doesn't really have guys that can challenge them at the rim. So the Lakers getting into the paint, that's going to force the Kings defense to collapse. And at the very least, even if you're not scoring in the paint, if they collapse enough, you're creating great open looks to kick out to shooters. Now, we've seen those shooters miss a lot of shots. We especially saw that against Phoenix. The Lakers just couldn't get going. Uh, we see saw guys like Rui Hachimura, who he needs to have a big performance. So the Lakers shooters have got to knock down the open looks they get when they do collapse into the paint. But again, executing inside out. Touch the paint. Frank Vogel used to talk about it all the time. Touch the paint first and then go from there. That, I think, is going to be a major key for the Lakers offense against this Kings team. Don't let them keep you on the perimeter. Work inside out. And that's where you're going to have the most success on the offensive end against Sacramento. All right. I do want to get into uh, our our bonus super chat questions here that came in. And you guys know if you've been watching the show for a long time, or if you haven't, uh, the way this works is we take these chat questions and I use these to pinball into a lot of different topics. Um, so let's get to these. Uh, Quasar said, simply going to put this out there. Many of the analytics projections seem to have the current roster with 40 or 41 wins at most as the seventh seed. Well, you know what? That's the reason why you play the game, right? That's the, that's the reason why you play. It's the reason why you roll the ball out there. Look, the analytics would have said that the Dodgers would have smoked the Diamondbacks. Didn't wind up happening, right? Diamondbacks are now in the in the World Series. Um, again, there's a reason why you, you play these games. So uh, the analytics, it, it all depends on what the analytics are, right? And I think one of the other things we have to remember, and I've talked about this a lot, the Western Conference, it's so deep and the margin between the teams, it's going to be non-existent. So even if the analytics say you're the seventh seed, that doesn't necessarily, or you're going to be the seventh seed, that doesn't suggest you're that far off from being the two seed or the three seed or, or whatever in the Western Conference. I really think like one through 10 isn't actually going to be separated by all that much. Not as much as you would see in a typical year, or not as much as it would suggest when you look at the standings and you think, oh, the number one seeded team, they've got to be way better than the 10 seed. Well, they probably are better, but the gap between the two isn't going to be what we would typically see. Uh, that is the parity in the Western Conference. That's another thing to keep in mind too. As I've been saying, somebody in the West has to get slotted 11th and not even make the play in. And no matter what team you put there, that team's fan base has a legitimate reason to be very upset about it. That's how good the West is. That's how deep the West is this year. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Laker Sean said, I don't miss Vogel's fourth quarter offense. Good adjustments by Ham. Went big with Nurkic in foul trouble. Yeah, uh, Darvin Ham going big. I talked about that a little bit uh, on the YouTube channel yesterday about Christian Wood's play and how the Lakers' big lineup really worked to shut down the offensive rebounding opportunities of the Phoenix Suns, where even when the Suns were missing, the Lakers were doing a better job cleaning up the glass. And part of that was because you've got LeBron, who's 6'8", 6'9". You've got Christian Wood, who's like 6'10", 6'11". You've got AD, 6'11". You've got a big group out there of guys that can really hit the boards. Now, I don't know if this Kings matchup, though, is the one to see that in. Um, They do have JaVale McGee, our old friend, who comes off the bench for them as their backup five. But Harrison Barnes, Keegan Murray... I guess, like, I guess if Christian Wood can chase Kevin Durant, he should be able to chase those guys too, particularly Harrison Barnes. You know, he's getting up there in years. But but still, the, the Kings are, are a smaller team that's going to try and spread you out with their shooting. I don't know if going big is necessarily the best, the best path. I do know, and we talked about this over the summer, this team has the pieces to play whatever style Darvin Ham wants. If he wants to play bigger, they can do it. If he wants to play smaller, they can do that. It'll be interesting to see how he attacks the Kings tonight. Uh, Leonzo Thompson said, I feel like Vincent will get better. I really like his style of play and think he can do a lot for us. Yeah, Gabe Vincent, you know, I've seen a lot of people who say, you know, I'm out on him. He was the wrong signing. I wish we had Dennis Schroeder, things of that nature. Let's let's pump the brakes. Okay, we're, we're two games into the regular season. Like, that's where we're at. We're two games into an 82-game season you know, it's just, it's way too early to draw conclusions on a player. Way too early. Like, it drives me a bit crazy. Like, I think you can make a case that the Lakers should have taken Cam Whitmore. I'll be honest. Cam Whitmore would have been my pick and not instead of JHS. Um, and now hindsight being 2020 can obviously make a case that uh, Jaime Hawkins should have been the pick or that, that uh, Podzemski should have been the pick. But I, JHS uh, editor extraordinaire Daniel Starkan ha- got footage of him from yesterday's practice where he was working out a little bit and he looked pretty gimpy, looked walking around pretty gingerly on that that Bruce Patella. And I had so many people in the comments just like, oh, they made the wrong pick, should have taken Cam Whitmore and, and all that. And again, I would have picked Cam Whitmore in that case. But we're two games into the regular season. He hasn't even played. And look, he hasn't looked look good in preseason. He hasn't looked good. It, it, from what we've seen so far, the shooting issues have been real. But 
to make a definitive judgment on a 20-year-old player who hasn't even played a regular season game yet. My goodness. I mean, realistically, he probably needs to get through his full season. Sometimes players are late bloomers too. I mean, not that it happens all the time, but look what happened with Chauncey Billups in his career. Started bouncing around. Didn't become Chauncey Billups till later on. And I know some of the guys, LeBron fans who say, we don't have time to wait for later on. And you're not wrong. We don't have time to wait for later on. What are the Lakers doing? Why would you draft somebody with 17, trade that pick and get somebody who can help us now? You've got an argument there, by the way. But the bottom line is it's just too early to be out on anybody. JHS, Gabe Vincent, doesn't matter. It's too early to be out on any player right now. And I do agree that Gabe will be better. Look, Gabe Vincent, in terms of his shooting, which is what we all tend to look at first and foremost. Why? Because we've been scarred by Lakers shooting woes in the past. You can't start any worse if you're Gabe Vincent. At least from three, he's 0 for 9. He hasn't made a three as a Laker in the regular season. Two games. But again, a two-game sample size, too small. Is he really that? Is that because that's really what people say? Oh, see, Gabe Vincent's not hitting shots. He's not a good shooter. Do we really believe he's this bad? Is that what we believe? That he's a zero percent three point shooter? That he's that bad? Or what do you think? Is it more likely that he had two games where he shot poorly from three? And that the reality is his career. Well, again, he's not a knockdown sniper, but he's a 34% three-point shooter for his career. He shot 37% two seasons ago, 33% last season. So what's more likely? That these two games that say he's a awful, terrible, one of the worst three-point shooters in the league, which is the response I've seen from some, that that's real? Or that his entire career of games, that's who he really is. It's the latter. We know it. It's small sample size. So again, I agree. I think there is a bounce back coming from him. I don't know if it's going to happen this game, but I know he's not this bad of a shooter. And I also thought he did some good things defensively. And it's why he got as many minutes as he got against the Phoenix Suns. Don't write him off. Give him time to figure some things out. And then we go from there. And then we'll see what's what. But don't look at what a guy's done for two for two games and just assume... That's simply what the player is now. Don't do it. Shooting curse or not, whether or not that exists for the Lakers. Give them more time. All right. Uh, Gab said, Trev, love that you're interviewing Derek Fisher soon. This came in right before the, the Derek Fisher interview, um, which again is on the, the YouTube channel, also on the podcast feed. Laker legend, but we need to see you interview him. We need to know why he waits so long to make in-game adjustments and the questionable rotations. Um, okay, so I've talked about this a, a little bit, and I've been in scrums before and had opportunities to chat with Darvin. A one-on-one -on -one interview I haven't done with him. I would love to. But that's the other thing, though, too. It's, I think sometimes when we're frustrated with something, fans expect the interviewer to, to like kind of attack the, the player or the coach. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? It's not really the way you want to approach things. And it's not to say that you throw them softball questions or anything, but you want to get a response. You want to get it rather than have the person get defensive. You want to get a, a real response and have a real question to, to put to them. You know, one of the things that I thought was interesting, and I mentioned this on a, on a uh, video that 
is going to go out. Um, didn't put it out today. It's on LeBron's minutes. Ham explained, and it was one of my pet peeves with his coaching. Ham explained why he's so reluctant to use his timeouts. It's because he's worried about getting to the fourth quarter and needing to push LeBron and needing to push Anthony Davis. This is what he explained. And to not have those timeouts, not because he thinks he's going to need to strategize, but he wants to use them to get those guys rest. Like that was part of his decision for playing LeBron the entire fourth quarter. Part of it was I didn't play him as much against Denver. And part of it was I still have three timeouts and I'm going to use all of them so I can buy him extra rest that day that way. Not that we need to stop play so much, not that our strategy is going terribly and I need to stop things for that, but more because if I'm going to play him this whole quarter, I need to use these timeouts to buy him a couple of minutes of rest without actually putting him on the bench. And I thought that was a really good explanation. And that was something that I had been wondering about for a while. So that's part of it too, is sometimes when you're frustrated about something, and that's not to say that that means Darwin is always perfect now in my mind with when he calls timeouts or when he doesn't, I still think he probably hangs on to him a little too much, but sometimes you do get a, a real explanation that makes sense and sheds some light on what their thought process is. You don't have to approach everything as though um, they are they are wrong. So questionable rotations, you can just pick their brain and say, hey, you know what, what are you thinking here with this? As he did with Cam Reddish as well where he explained that and he gets that question thrown to him. Um, but yeah, don't have to be, you don't have to like go after him or anything, or anything like that, which I know isn't really the, the crux of the question here, but I've had a lot of people asking that saying, why, you know, why don't, why doesn't the media call out this guy on something? It's not, it's not always how you're going to get the answer that you really want. Uh, David said, we need to start wood. The coach in me is shaking my head at 17 second chance points against Denver and 14 tonight. We've got too much size for that to be happening. I I get concerned about the second chance points as well. Um, Sean, you've heard him say he's not concerned about it at all. Part of it, I know, is offensive rebounds stick out like a sore thumb. They are loud mistakes, right? They are Russell Westbrook hitting the side of the backboard mistakes where Russ can have three really good plays in a row that aren't necessarily... An, Obviously, I'm talking about last season, but aren't necessarily all that dramatic. And then he hits the side of the backboard on a shot and everybody's losing their minds. And oh my gosh, Russ is, Russ is awful and he's terrible and get him off this team and all that sort of stuff. The volume of a play, whether positive or negative, matters too. Um, and in the case of giving up the second chance points, that's a very loud play because you expect that every time a shot goes up and they miss, your team's going to get the defensive rebound, which isn't accurate. It's like every time a penalty kick shooter in soccer steps up, you expect them to make it. And that's just not the case. That's just not the case. The shooter is expected to make it every time, but the stats say they don't, right? And we've seen it. They don't, but they're expected to. So when things don't go according to expectation, and when it's particularly a loud thing, like giving up an offensive rebound, those things stick in our brain and they really stand out as a problem. And I try to be aware of that, even as I say, the defensive glass or the offensive rebounds given up are a concern of mine for this team. All of that said, starting big doesn't necessarily solve that problem, particularly if it's a lot of wings that are crashing in from the perimeter. For example, if Christian Wood is defending Keegan Murray and Keegan outquicks him into the paint from the perimeter and he comes flying in, 
you could still give up an offensive board. So there's matchups absolutely matter. And I thought the bigger lineup did look really good against Phoenix. And as the, you know, the players have mentioned, Darwin has mentioned, the Lakers are still trying to figure out what lineups they should use, what they shouldn't use, what, what's going to work, what's not. But I think the big lineup so far is a lineup that has worked, but it's not the only one. There's going to be a lot of lineups um, for them to try out. And I don't know, while the big lineup, on theory, in theory, should do better at cleaning up the glass, and I think they did uh, in the fourth quarter against Phoenix, there's still there's still other things to consider. We can't just assume that that lineup fixes all that ails the Lakers. And I talked a little more in, de in depth about that uh, on the YouTube channel uh, as well. Uh, that was yesterday. Christian said, I'm very worried about the rebound. So chiming in as well. First three quarters were horrible. We can have a bad shooting night. We can be that bad or we can't be that bad rebounding. He's, he's trying to say here. I agree. I think the Lakers do need to make sure they're really focusing on cleaning up the glass. Again, I don't expect them to go big all the time, but the rebounding is going to be critical for this team. Particularly one of the things I'm watching, do the Lakers enjoy the free throw advantage that they did last season? So far, the answer has been no. Um, it's not like they've got a crazy edge from the free throw line. They did during the stretch last season. And part of that was because they had Dennis Schroeder, who was really good at getting to the line. Austin was getting to the line like crazy as well. And they were also great at defending without fouling. Well, you've got a lot of new faces in right now. And their chemistry is still a little bit off on the defensive end. So that's resulting in more fouls. And on the other side, I don't, the Lakers aren't quite getting to the line like they used to. Again, some of that's Dennis. And some of that is just, you're not seeing as much foul drawing as we saw previously. So if you're not going to have a big edge at the free throw line, like we saw for the Lakers last season down the stretch, um, that, that puts a little bit more emphasis on getting it right in some other key areas and rebounding is certainly one of them. For I said, why does this team look so clunky too early? Yeah, that's that's the explanation. Darwin has given LeBron as well that it's just early and they're still sorting through things and figuring things out while integrating these new faces that even though they brought back a lot of players from last year, there's enough new guys that are still kind of picking up things on the fly. They're They're really learning each other's tendencies more than the system, at least that's the explanation that, that Darvin gave. Uh, Jonathan Reyes, winning formula, AD and Wood together with Braun. You know, I, I do think that there's something to that, and it's worth continuing to give minutes. That I don't think that's the cure-all. I don't think that solves everything that ails the Lakers. But, man, it sure was impressive seeing what Christian Wood did, did defensively. And again, I raved about him uh, yesterday on the YouTube channel. If you haven't checked that out yet, Go check that out because I went further in depth into why what we saw against uh, Phoenix was such a big deal, both for Christian Wood personally and for the Lakers as a team. It really was. Uh, Sky Tier, uh, I already addressed this on the show, but said Christie needs more minutes than Reddish. Darvin addressed that. And we talked about that earlier. Richard, great win. A loss would have been devastating. The Lakers need another scorer. Russell for Harden, anyone. Well, Richard, that's part of the reason why I addressed the James Harden thing. They cannot do that. Um, that's interesting, though. James Harden, yeah. I think it's just because of the Kendrick Perkins thing that suddenly a lot of people are talking about it. Uh, Matt P., uh, he's a channel member, said, not sure. My little heart can redo last year all over again. We need a strong start to the year. AD should want the ball at the end like Braun does. You know, I thought AD was great against Phoenix, 29 points. 
Uh, obviously, he was really good offensively. I liked how physical he was being, getting into the paint and demanding the ball in the post. Had a couple of uh, nice early post touches where he went up, strong, finished. So I liked what we saw out of AD against Phoenix, and I'm hopeful that's what we're going to see because he's going to need another big game against the Suns, a Suns team that really shouldn't be able to deal with him in the paint, given what they've got there. Alex Ammerling, also a channel member, said Christian Wood was the addition I was most excited about. He's kind of that, he's the mystery box, right? He's got all this potential, but what is he really? Was Atlanta just not quite using him correctly? What about New York? What about Portland? Were these teams just not quite using him to his full potential? And as a still young player, is he still just kind of developing into what he's eventually going to be? And can the Lakers be the team to truly unlock him? I don't want to set the bar too high, but so far, I've been really impressed with what he's done defensively. If if there's any way that Darvin Ham is right and he's not a poor three-point shooter, he's not like a 31% three-point shooter. Right now, he's a 20% three-point shooter, but again, small sample size. If somehow he's like a 36, 37% three-point shooter, maybe there's a role. Maybe there's a role. My thinking right now, though, and there's a long way to go, obviously. Right now, though, my thinking is when Jared Vanderbilt comes back, we're not going to see as much Cam Reddish anymore. That's what I think is going to happen. But we have a long way to get there, and a lot can change between now and then. Shaheen said, how would this game have turned out if Beal and Booker were playing? If the Lakers played the way they did, it would not turn out well. It would be a loss, right? I know Darvin even mentioned it. He said for three quarters, they looked, I don't recall the exact word that he used, but he basically said they didn't look good for three quarters. And he's right. He's right. They were not good. In fact, I, at the end of the third quarter, I put out there on uh, X, I said the Lakers looked disinterested. I was surprised, disappointed in what we saw out of them. Obviously, the fourth quarter turned a lot around and it made us all feel a bit better about this team. But if Booker and Beal are playing and the Lakers played the way they did for three quarters, it was a blowout loss. Now, that said, I also thought, especially in the first quarter, the Lakers were getting great looks. Great looks. And just missing them. Looks that you would have to assume over the course of the season, more often than not, they're going to make but they were getting great looks they were just missing. So there's two things here. What if the what if the Suns had Bradley Beal and Devin Booker? What does that look like then? Okay, but then also, what if the Lakers just hit the shots that you would expect them to make? That they didn't in this game. What if they just shoot a normal percentage? Then what does that look like? Maybe it even it evens out. I don't know. You can make the argument, but you have to keep that in mind. What if Devin Booker and Bradley Beal were playing? Well, what if do you also expect the Lakers to shoot this poorly forever? No, probably not. If they do, then it's going to be a long season. Lucas said, Eric Spolstra, do you think the Lakers should hire Coach Spo? He's not leaving Miami. He's not like on the market. I think the Lakers need a coach who can orchestrate a complex offense. Well, you can make an argument for that. You can debate whether or not Darvin Ham is running a complex. I think we've seen some things from the offense that simply didn't exist last year. There have definitely been improvements there. But one of the things we have to keep in mind when people say, fire a coach, and if you want a lot more on the whole fire a coach topic, Keith Smith and I talked about it on Friday on the live front office show. 
Uh, so you guys can check that out. But long story short, one of the things you have to keep in mind, if people are saying are angry and saying fire Darwin and hire who? That's what you have to remember. Who are you hiring? Who's out there right now that's on the market, that's available, that is a better coach than Darvin Ham? Who is it? Who's going to come in and coach this team? And wants the job and wants to come in midway through the season, all that. I think, and by the way, I'm not even saying the Lakers are realistically considering that because they're not. They're not. Darvin's got, what, three years left on his contract? Just made the Western Conference Finals? I know there's been frustration with the coach, but I think one of the things to keep in mind is almost every fan base doesn't like their coach. With the exception of a few, almost every fan base is frustrated with their coach and throws their hands up and rolls their eyes and all that. The coach just, it's what happens. The coach takes a beating every year. Every year. And I'm talking about across the league, just about regardless of the team. Steve Kerr gets torn to shreds in Golden State and they've won how many championships there? With this crew, it it comes with the territory. It's part of the job. So, again, if if Darvin Ham is not your favorite, for one thing, it's who is going to take over. And for another thing, just remember, most fans aren't happy with their coach because when things go wrong, they tend to put the blame there rather than on the players themselves. Not always, but that's where it tends to go. J.D. Garcia, no Booker and Beal, and only winning by five points. Yeah, I mean, I know they didn't have Bradley Beal. I know they didn't have Devin Booker. The Lakers shot terribly. The Lakers played terribly. The Lakers didn't look all that interested for three quarters, I thought. That's concerning. That's concerning. It's still one game, and it's still a win. So you'll take it. You'll take a win. But yeah, it's not like the it's not like coming out of Phoenix. We said, oh, okay, all right, there it is. That's it. Now we've seen proof that the Lakers are great. Sigh of relief. Skies are clear. The sun is shining. And it's smooth sailing from here. No, that's definitely not what we got out of out of this win over the Suns. Again, for three quarters, the Lakers did not look good. Thank goodness they turned things on in the fourth quarter. But they still have a lot to prove. But you know what is good? They've got a long time to do it. 80 more games. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
Day one, Kendall said 11 to 15 points from D'Lo, 13 to 18 points from Rui and Austin Reeves. Yeah, that's not a bad goal in terms of what you're going to get out of each guy. I don't know if you get all three of those things, but if you can get two of those, you get 11 to 15 points from D'Lo and 13 to 18 from one of Rui and Austin. Pretty solid. If you do get all three, great. Fantastic. Oh boy, more trade. Kyrie Irving for the Lakers is a consistent 20 and 5. So that's been kind of the conspiracy theory, right? That come mid-December, Kyrie's going to start acting up in Dallas and the Lakers are going to call up and say, hey, D'Lo in, in a contract, uh, D'Lo in something for Kyrie. And they're going to try to bring Kyrie to LA. Again, that fan-driven. I'm not talking about real rumors here. I'm talking about that's kind of the conspiracy theory from, from fans that I've seen. I will probably have to deal with some Kyrie Irving trade rumors before the February trade deadline. It's just, it's probably going to happen. Um, I mean, the rumors, not, not a trade. The rumors are probably going to happen. I don't, I don't have any sense that the Lakers are trying to make that happen or that Kyrie's trying to make that happen or, or anything like that. But I, I think it's going to be a while with Kyrie still connected to the Lakers. We're just, we're still going to deal, deal with it. Just like people still ask me from time to time about Miles Turner I know about Buddy Heald. Uh, Dennis and AD did not have good chemistry, remember? Yeah, especially the first year. Remember, like, Dennis threw, like, one lob, actually connected on one lob to AD the first season. And Dennis wasn't great at finding AD with the entry passes. You know, what's funny is a lot of people now are are pining for, for Dennis Schroeder and saying, man, the Lakers should have kept him. I can't tell you how many people I had to talk off a ledge last year because through probably the midway point of the season, I had a lot of people saying Dennis is terrible. Why is he playing? Part of that was because we were seeing three-guard lineups with Dennis, with Pat Bev, and with Russ. And that just kind of created this narrative that Dennis being on the floor was, was a negative thing. Never mind the fact that having three smallish guards out there who all aren't known for their three-point shooting and so they don't give you much floor spacing is a disaster. Right. And that's what we saw. But then as the season went on, people started to see what Dennis was really doing and started to see what he was doing in the fourth quarter for the team and how important he was defensively and and all of those things, how important his ability to get to the free throw line was, that speed that he had, what that was doing for the Lakers. And by the end of the season, things had really come around on Dennis. But again, there was, I remember, remember it well, probably half the season last year, if not more, the prevailing thought on Lakers Twitter was, how can we get rid of Dennis Schroeder? So it's just funny that now we've kind of come back around to where people are are pining for, for Dennis Schroeder. And by the way, I think he would, I, I thought he had a good, a really good season. Obviously, he got paid off of that season. So the NBA agreed that he had a really good season for the Lakers. And uh, I was, was disappointed to see him go. There's no question. But Dennis and AD not having good chemistry. He wasn't a great setup guy. That's not really his game. But then again, neither is Gabe Vincent. He's not like a maestro just orchestrating the offense. That's not really his game either. Um, Buck said, Lakers fans get attached to players more than winning. I wholeheartedly disagree with that. I disagree. Do fans get attached to players? Yes. Players that win. Players that, that fans see fight night in and night out. Night in and night out. That fight, that give everything they've got, and that ultimately win. And boy, they will never let you forget it if you do. If you 
bring championships to LA, you're going to get remembered there forever. You win as a Laker. And I know there's still people who say, well, LeBron will never be Kobe. Of course he won't. Of course he won't. He will never. He could spend the next four years in purple and gold and win championships every time. He's still, he's not supplanting Kobe. That was never a thing. It was never going to happen. Kobe spent two decades with the Lakers. But look how much the city, look how much Lakers nation loves him. Look how much they still revere Magic, Shaq, Kareem, Worthy, Jerry West. Well, right, go on and on. Never forget those guys. Never. Even the, like, Robert Ory, Derek Fisher. These guys are legends in the city. Legends. Why? Because they won. Because they won. L.A. craves championships. Do Lakers fans get attached to players? Attached to players in that, hey, we're still going to talk about Kyrie Irving trades, and we're going to wind up talking about, um, you know, Miles Turner trades and things like that, long past they can actually happen. Sure, yeah. They attach to players that way, but not overwinning. They're not going to say keep this player if a trade is on the table that would mean winning a championship. They're not going to do it. LA is very much a name on the front of the jersey town. That's the way it goes. So yeah, stars in LA get remembered. The big-time role players, the clutch performers, they're going to be revered forever. But not above winning. You get that when you win in L.A. It's the way it works. But yeah, I don't think Lakers fans are attached to players more than winning at all. Not at all. The winning, the winning is what they're truly addicted to, what they're attached to. All right, everybody. I have to laugh because as usual, I took what I thought was just going to be a little bonus podcast. I thought, you know, okay, this will be 30 minutes tops. Here we are, 54 minutes and counting. But it's the way it goes. You get me talking Lakers. Oh, man, I love this stuff. I love this stuff. It is game day, Lakers versus Kings, 6 o'clock Pacific time. Come join me tonight over on Playback. You can find us playback.tv slash Lakers Nation. Watch the game with us. Hang out with us during the game and then go right back to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel for Lakers Nation Live right afterwards. Thank you again, everybody, for, for joining. If you want to help out the show, a great way to do that is to hit that subscribe button on YouTube. Hit the like button as well. And then over on the podcast side, give us a five-star rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. Give us a, a review over on Spotify or rating. I mean, wherever you listen to podcasts, great way to help out the show. Till next time, everybody. Well, I guess till game time, really. See ya and stay safe. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.